song this morning, I was just reminded how awesome God is that he can be sweet, gentle, loving, and be the king, right? I mean, he's, he's the sovereign ruler, the, the king, the power, isn't he? Amen? But he's gentle, and he's loving, and he's sweet, so... That's a tremendous thing to think about the Lord Jesus and the many, many different ways in which he meets us as he cares for us and that we can trust him because of all that he is and all that he's promised to be for us. As I begin my final message on the letters to the seven churches, please join with me in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, now for your word. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful that we have the Bible. And as we go verse by verse through this letter that Jesus wrote to the church in Laodicea, I pray, Lord, that you would use it to encourage us, to motivate us, maybe even to challenge us, that we might be a church that lifts up and honors the gospel, the king of the gospel, and for our ultimate joy of honoring you. Holy Spirit, please protect us from anything that's not from you. But what is from you, Lord, please have it take root into our hearts. May it produce fruit that lasts for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'd like you to imagine with me going away for a weekend, having a great time on the weekend, and coming home, going to your refrigerator, and getting a jug of milk, and you open up the refrigerator and grab that milk. It just doesn't feel quite right, but you go ahead and you put it in a glass, and you pour a glass of milk, and it just does not look right. Over the weekend, the electricity went out, and the refrigerator cooling system did not keep the milk cool. Uh, I don't think we'd drink this, would you? So we go to the milk jug, and we pick it up, and we go, what happened to the milk? And it just goes, yuck! (laughs) It's lukewarm. So instead of eating and drinking From home, we go to our favorite restaurant. And for me, when I go to my favorite restaurant, I'm, you know, I don't think I'm addicted to them, but my favorite drink is iced tea with lemonade in it. And look at all the ice. I love ice in my iced tea. I like, I like my iced tea cold and refreshing. And then we order fajitas. And you know, when fajitas come to your table, You know, they always say, be careful, these are hot. Be careful. You see, I love my food, and maybe you're like me. I love my drinks cold and my food hot. And if they're lukewarm, I'll gently and kindly, you know, I'm I'm a Christian, you know. (laughs) Could you please put this in the microwave and warm it up? Or could you please give me some more ice for my iced tea? Because I like... My drink's cold, and I like my food hot. 
I don't like my food. I don't like my drinks. Lukewarm. Yuck. <laughs> Let's look at the letter to Laodicea and see if we might see this theme of lukewarmness. In Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see to those and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. His drinks will probably be cold and his food will probably be hot when they eat together. <laughs> to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, as in all the other letters to the seven churches, I have taken the position that the understanding and the meaning of the message, the point of the message, can be greatly enhanced if we understand the geographic context and if we understand the cultural context. And so I offer you a consideration of the city of Laodicea, it's geographic and cultural context and see if we might be able to bring a meaning to this letter that we can apply to our church. Laodicea was a very wealthy church. Verse 17, Jesus alludes to their wealth. Uh, historians tell us that their wealth came from three areas. First, the textile industry. The soil around Laodicea was especially rich, and it, it made especially good grazing for sheep. And Laodicea specialized in black wool sheep. And, of course, black wool was very, very expensive, highly sought after, and, and so they would, they would have a thriving textile industry, and they would export this beautiful wool material taken from the black sheep. Second, Laodicea was also very well known for its innovative medical research. 
and they uh, they invented medicine to help with the ears and especially salve for the eyes. And this salve was shipped all over the Roman Empire, and they were well known for the salve to help uh, people see better and their eyes to get better. And thirdly, because of all their thriving industry and textiles and medicine, they became a commerce center. And banking was a very important part of the uh, lifestyle of people and uh, the loans and investments and financial planning was a big deal for this community. And so this made this town very, very rich. However, there was a problem for this city. Um, there was uh, an earthquake in A.D. 60. And of course, you know, back then they didn't have uh, metal girders that would sway back and forth with an earthquake. Everything was made of clay bricks. So when there was an earthquake, everything just fell down, cracked. And, and so there was a severe earthquake in A.D. 60, and they had to totally rebuild the whole town. They were so rich that they didn't even have to have Rome give them any money to assist them in building their town. In fact, they built their town more upscale than Rome probably would have allowed them to build because they were such a wealthy town. And as they were rebuilding their town, they considered the commerce, they considered transportation, they considered all the infrastructure to make their businesses so that they could get more and more wealthy. They considered military routes to protect them. But there's one thing that they neglected. They didn't think about water. They had none. No water. So in order to get water to this town, they had to import it. And so they had a series of these pipes that you see up there. And they would take water from surrounding communities and pipe in their water. Six miles north of a neighboring city was Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was known for hot water, hot springs, first century jacuzzis. People would go there and they would soak and they would get healing for their ailments in the hot springs of Hierapolis. And then 10 miles to the west was Colossi. And Colossi was at the foot of a mountain range and there were lots of cold streams where the snow would melt and their streams were known for it to be cool and refreshing. But when Hierapolis would, would pipe their hot water it would go through these pipes and the low temperature in, in Laodicea was 40 degrees in the evening and so the pipes would get cool and the hot water would get not so hot. And then during the day when Laodicean water would come through, it got up to 70, 80, 90 degrees and as you can see, these, these stone pipes would get hot and so the cool water would come through these pipes and it would get not so cool. The only water they had was lukewarm Water. So Jesus took occasion to say to this church, you know, verse 17, I know your deeds and they are neither cold nor hot. I really wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm milk. Spit it out. 
of your mouth. Throw it in the reverse. Technicolor yawn. <laughs> that's, that's disgusting. Now, at first glance, what do you do with what Jesus said? I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. Well, it looks like he is saying hot would be spiritually hot and strong. And so the application then would be Jesus declares that he wants deeds that are spiritually hot and fruitful. I wish you were spiritually hot. But then he says cold. And we think the first thing we think of cold is spiritually cold and lifeless, like a corpse. Like a dead church or a dying church. It's cold and it's spiritually cold. And so we would think then that the application here is Jesus hates lukewarmness so much that he'd rather have them cold than lukewarm. Now, do you like that that thought? I don't know if I like, I would rather have you cold than lukewarm. Thinking that Jesus hates lukewarmness so much, I'd rather have you spiritually cold than lukewarm. That bothers me that Jesus would say that. So I'd like to put a line through that in your notes. And let's see if we can think of another alternative to understand this text. Given the geographic background of this city, along with their water problems, try this understanding of this verse. Being hot or cold are equally good. Think about spiritual hot, bringing spiritual healing to somebody through the warmth of the gospel, just like the hot springs bring the warmth and healing to people's bodies. And then think of spiritually cold being good. That is, bringing the refreshment and renewal through the cool refreshing of the gospel like the cold water of Colossae brought refreshment to those who were there. So the contrast here between hot and cold is similar to the contrast between the hot springs of Hierapolis and the cold streams of Colossae, providing hot spiritually healing, cold spiritual refreshing, And Jesus said, I'd rather have you hot or cold than being lukewarm. Just please don't be lukewarm. A church that merely goes through the motions, that never gets anything done to bring God's healing, to never get anything done to bring God's refreshing, is just a lukewarm church. They're just coasting. And Jesus outlines this problem for them in verse 17, where he says, You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. And do not need a thing. You get what they said? Well, we're, we're doing just fine. 
We've got all the money we need. We've got all the wealth we need. We've got all the problems solved we need. We don't need any. We can just. We don't need anything. We're just. We're just good. We're rich, and they were. But if the people lived in Laodicea, and you were in the class of people that had money that you were comfortable, this would be the church for you. Because <laughs> you could go to this church and you would have your nice padded seats, your nice building, your nice whatever it was, and you'd be just great. And Jesus says, I know you're wealthy. And the people said, yeah, we are. And verse 17, we don't need a thing. And Jesus says, but, you know, there's a problem here. You are generally wretched and pitiful. We are? He says, yeah. Look at verse 17. You are actually poor. You're spiritually anemic. John chapter 15 makes very clear. We might produce fruit. We might even produce much fruit. But Jesus says, Unless the branch is attached to the vine, you can do what? Nothing. You think you're all that great, but you know, actually, because you're just lukewarm and you say you don't need me, you don't need me? Well, guess what? That means you're poor. Jesus tells them in verse 18, you need to buy gold that's refined in fire for me, not, not literal gold, they got plenty of gold, but they needed to buy from me gold refined in fire. Now that reminds us of the other letters, doesn't it? The other letters where Jesus teaches them that there is grace and maturity and strength that comes in suffering. When God is precious to us in those times of difficulty. Jesus says, you need to come to me and you need to get rich in me. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that we who are poor can become rich in him. Right? Remember when he says that? So Jesus has come to these people and said, you think you don't need anything? Guess what? You're poor. And you need to come to me in order to get rich. But they were lukewarm. And then he says in verse 17, you're blind. The city famous for Isaiah actually are blind. And Jesus says, you need to come to me and have some spiritual sight given to you. And then the city that was famous for fancy textiles, Jesus says, actually you're naked. You're naked. There was no merit they could boast about. There's sinfulness, there's spiritual emptiness. And Jesus says, you need to clothe yourselves in new life, verse 18. You come to me and you say, well, you know, we're wealthy. We got everything we need and we don't need a thing. Jesus said, actually, actually, you're poor and you're naked and you're blind. Jesus comes to them in verse 19 and says, so I'm going to discipline you. I love you so much, I'm going to discipline you. Jesus loves them, verse 19 says. I love you. 
And so because I love you, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to rebuke you. And I'm going to challenge you to repent. Once again, this challenge to repent comes to the fore. Now let's just review one more time what's it mean to repent. Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Paul tells us, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. In other words, if you're sinning, stop. Stop it. If you're watching wrong stuff on your computer, stop it. If you're overeating for the wrong reasons, stop it. If you've got an anger problem, stop it. Now, that's easy to say, right? So then what does Paul say in Romans 13? Look at what he says. Stop what you're doing and then offer yourselves to God. There's the power. Offer yourself to God. Okay, I'll stop. But Lord, I, you know, I'll stop here, but... You know, I don't have any any strength. I'll I'll do it again this afternoon. (laughs) And Jesus says, or Paul says, offer yourself to God. That's where the power is. And then, what does Paul say? Present your members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. Begin to be devoted to him in his power, and in his strength, and in his grace. And that's exactly what he offers in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Jesus said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, that person, and they with me. Brothers and sisters, open the door. Open the door. Jesus is coming to us and he is saying, if you're stuck in a lifestyle that is unholy, unrighteous, is sinful, open the door. I will come in to you and I will nourish you with a meal that is hot food and cold, refreshing drink. I will nourish you. Now, this verse has often been used to um, an, an evangelistic appeal. You know, and certainly it's true that God initiates a relationship with us, that He gently and and graciously knocks on the door of our heart and asks us to invite Him to come into our life and to place. But the context of this verse in the church at Laodicea gives us what I think is the best application of this verse, and that is you are lukewarm, folks. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth if you stay lukewarm, but I'm not going to just rebuke you. I invite you to open the door and invite me in. This church kicked Jesus out of their church. They kicked him out. Well, Jesus, you know, we're wealthy. We don't need anything. And Jesus says, yes, you do. You are poor and you are naked, and you are blind, and you need to invite me in to help you turn around. 
and I will help you turn around. An incredible gesture of compassion and humility. Let me come in. I'll share a meal with you. We'll sit down across the table and we'll talk. And we'll figure this out together. And you can tell me what your issues are and what your problems are and what your struggles are and what your fears are. Let's, let's sit down and do this together. Invite me in. Let's have a meal together and let's talk this through. And Jesus says, I will help you. And together we will offer healing. Together we will offer refreshing. Together we will offer the hot springs of Hierapolis. Together we will offer the cool, refreshing streams of Colossae. Let me in. Open the door. Well, let me suggest to you something that I think is an application. And that is, it's very easy for us in the local church to look around at those People. Do you know who those people are in the local church? Those people are a believer who's struggling with an addiction. You're a Christian. You shouldn't be struggling with that. You're one of those problem people. A believer who is being led astray by a self-centered pursuit. They're being led like a sheep to the slaughter. And we look at them and say, that's, you're one of those people. A believer who makes a poor decision and falls. Do you know that every one of us is one decision away from being one of those people? One of those people. Family with a prodigal child family struggling and being burdened down with mental illness, person dealing with same-sex attraction, one of those people, ex-convict, someone with a special needs child, on and on and on, right? One of those people. I'm not going to let one of those people sit next to me in church. Brothers and sisters, that's exactly where they need to be. And a church that's lukewarm, just, well, you know, I'll just sit somewhere else next Sunday. That's what a lukewarm church does. But that's, that's, that's not what Jesus says. Oh, that you would be hot and cold, maybe both at the same time. Offer healing. Offer refreshing. Don't be lukewarm to those people. Because maybe I'm one of them. So here's what I would like to suggest is an option to being lukewarm. I would suggest to you that Jesus' invitation is to transform lukewarmness or dead, lukewarm deeds into those that bring healing and refreshing. That's what Jesus wants a church to be. This is an invitation where Jesus says, let me in, I'll help you. 
I'll help you bring healing to those people. I'll help you bring refreshment to those people. And if we choose to accept his invitation to open the door and let him come in, he will empower us to abandon any lukewarmness in our church. He'll help us to root out self-sufficiency. He'll help us to never say, ah, oh, we're just fine. We don't need anything. Yes, we do. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. I think this invitation is offered both to local churches as well as to individuals. To local churches, it's a challenge for us to clearly clarify our vision, evaluate the fruit of our ministry, and then walk through the open doors as we talked last week and deal with the mess (laughs) and invite Jesus in to help us. If you're an individual... Challenge is to take your faith seriously. Jesus did not save us to be comfortable. Jesus saved us to make a difference, to glorify Him, to promote His gospel, to be hot, healing, to be cold, refreshing to those around us. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus. To do good works, hot works, cold works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus is knocking. Jesus is knocking. We open the door. Will we open the door? Will we make sure that we never get lukewarm? Because a lukewarm church... Jesus will spit us out of his mouth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I think in some ways this is the hardest challenge that we've heard from you today in this seven series to the seven churches. Because This church in Laodicea didn't know they were lukewarm. Jesus said, listen, you guys are, you're you're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked, and they had no idea. And Lord, I, I know that there's a great desire among us at Three Lakes EFC. We don't want to be lukewarm. Um... I really don't think we are. But Lord, never let us get that way. Protect us from it. And help us, Lord, to stoke the fires of the hot. And help us, Lord, to share the refreshing of the cold. Help us, God. Come into our church. We open the door. Help us move forward. Lord, if we're a family, an individual that's here today and we're struggling, we open the door to our personal lives as well. And we accept your invitation. Let's have dinner tonight. Let's talk. Let's get this figured out. Thank you for what you bring to my life.
So maybe you're here today and you just feel like you need to say anew, Lord, I do. I, I turn, I present myself to you, and I commit myself anew to a life of devotion. Um, make that my lifestyle. I joyfully come to you, thanking you for your grace.